Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod, or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Greetings and happy whatever day of the week it is that you're listening to this. It's the Nerdist Podcast episode number 237. Say, uh, Matt and Jonah and I are not only coming to uh, New York Comic Con in October to perform, you can go to Nerdist.com slash calendar for that, but we are finally all coming to Toronto to perform uh, in the Just for Laughs Toronto Festival. When I was there in February performing uh, at the Comedy Bar, people were like, when, is, when are you going to bring Matt and Jonah? All right, Canadians, it's happening. Toronto, it's happening on September 27th, so you just have to go to JFL42 uh, and get tickets. So uh, do that, and we'll see you in Canada in September. I'd like to thank the sponsor for this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. It's Go To My PC by Citrix, which, by the way, connects you directly to your Office Mac or PC from any other computer. Also from your iPad or your iPhone with the Go To My PC app. You can work on any program, any file, any document. It sets up in minutes. You can save stuff. It's fantastic. It just, you know, now that we are a device-heavy culture, finding ways to connect all those devices into one uh, is, I think, pretty dang important. Go to my PC helps you stay out of the office, particularly in the summer. Uh, let's say you set up one of those uh, frog-shaped plastic t- uh, shallow pools in the backyard that you bought at the Walmarts. And, uh, and you left something at your office. Well, you can just access all that stuff now with Go to My PC, so you don't have to get out of your weird frog pool. And you can just email people and get the files you need uh, right, right from your backyard. Try Go to My PC today. There's a special free 30-day trial just for Nerdist listeners. Click the Try It Free button, enter the promo code Nerdist, and then download the free app to your iPad or your iPhone. That is it. Go to mypc.com, try it free, and enter the promo code NERDIST. This is a very special episode of the Nerdist Podcast. You couldn't do a Nerdist Podcast and not have this guy on. It's Bill Nye, the science guy. I am so excited that he came on the show. So excited. Um, we went to the Planetary Society and did this podcast with him. And uh, this, this, is, this is the full unedited interview of what you're going to see from... There's a sliver of the, of the interview on the, on the Nerdist TV show on BBC America this next Saturday, um, which will be uh, August 4th. We did a salute to science! So we had Bill on, we had Neil deGrasse Tyson on, Cara Santa Maria. We had a super, super, super fun show. So that's uh, Saturday, August 4th on BBC America. Uh, and this is the full unedited audio. And I would also like to announce 
Maybe some of you know, and some of you don't know, recently Bill Nye did a Reddit AMA and someone said, when are you gonna do more Science Guy stuff? And he's like, well, it's sort of tricky, you know, with television and it has to be the right situation. And then someone said, after that, there was a follow-up question, well, maybe you could do something like that on the internet. And then Bill said, stay tuned. And then someone said to me, hey, did you hear that Bill Nye said stay tuned? And I was like, you're assuming that I have nothing to do with that. So I am proud to announce, you guys, that Bill Nye will be coming to the Nerdist channel on YouTube. Uh, YouTube.com slash Nerdist. I know! Come on! Bill Nye and the Nerdist channel. It had to happen. So we're super excited. In fact, if you go to the Nerdist channel on YouTube right now, there's a short video where Bill Nye teaches me how to tie a bow tie. Because who better to teach you how to tie a bow tie than Bill Nye? who, in my estimation, is the American Doctor, if there ever could be one. Calm down, Whovians. We know there shouldn't be an American Doctor. I'm just saying Bill Nye would be awesome. Um, also, Bill is having a huge, huge, huge party uh, planet fest for the Curiosity rover that's landing uh, on Mars uh, August 4th. So uh, go to planetfest.org to get more information on how you can be involved with Planet Fest and, uh, and possibly get a chance to high-five Bill Nye and celebrate the party on Mars. But right now, let's have a party in your ears with the wonderful Bill Nye the Science Guy here on the Nerds Podcast, episode number 237. <laughs> this is such a fun episode. I'm freaking out about it. I still can't believe I get to meet some of the people that I meet, so uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I still nerd out on it. <laughs> I'm gonna shut up now. Science! Now entering Nerdist.com Right now, it is not to boldly go where no one or no man has gone before. It's to timidly go where 550 people have already been. And that's okay. But that's why the space shuttle had to be retired. And as John Grunsfeld, who's the head of NASA science right now, remarked, remarks, we have been to the easy places. And the word easy, Relatively. Uh, eight kilometers a second in low Earth orbit, not trivial, big giant rocket thing just to do that. Yeah. And, and the moon is relatively easy. The moon is three days. You can be weightless for three days and not have your bones fall apart. Mars, if you punch it, I mean, if you're just standing <laughs> on the accelerator, it takes you nine months, maybe in the best orbital condition, seven months to get there. Wow. And no one knows how yet how to figure out how to survive the radiation. It's not that it's an insurmountable problem, it's just no one's had the resources to have to address it yet. Well, so just keep all this in mind. Or no one is brave enough to get the superpowers they would undoubtedly get going through the radiation. That's not fantastic for, I know. Yeah. Uh, that's one outcome uh, <laughs> that is about which there's been much speculation. But on a more serious note, when people have nuclear reactors blow up or get inundated by tidal waves, it's actually quite tra traumatic. Yeah. We're figuring out problems. This feels like a, some type of uh, situation a situation room where situations... I think we're creating a lot of the situations we're ultimately going to have to solve. Let's solve problem. space. All right. Oh. 
Bill, what's one problem of space that we could solve right now at this table? Right now at this table, uh, demand mm -hmm. that somebody build a spaceship big enough to spin mm -hmm. so that we can have gravity. artificial gravity so that our bones will not be... <clears throat> will not leave our bodies <laughs> as we uh, metabolize our food, so which is a problem. People's bones go away in what, space. Where do, where, where do they go? Do they drift they go, through your skin? No, they, no, they, no, they, no, they, no the density. Yeah, no, no, goes, density. I don't want to shock you. It goes into your urine. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So you, you lose your bone mass. How are you? I'm not peeing bone, but other than that. Yeah, yeah well, okay. but you are. And the people, they do all kinds of exercises trying to stay robust. And there's certain people that think, I saw a talk where they think if they had more impact, they'd be better off. And they've done a study. They have this bicycle as big as this table, and you ride around in this tight circle on a post with wearing special goggles that make you think you're on a highway. Okay. Wow. <laughs> but, but what we want is a spacecraft that spins, people. How did they solve the how did they solve the bone density loss in the Star Trek universe, Matthew? They created gravity. Yeah, the Gravitron. Mm. Which is also my favorite uh, my favorite ride at a fair, is the Gravitron. It's the Gravitron. Yeah, yeah. The Gravitron, and you can turn upside down. Yeah, yeah. Not know. allowed to, but you do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah. The guy's in the middle, yeah, what's he's he gonna, gonna do? Gonna try and get Come you. and get me! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah punk. <laughs> the carny wants to see you fly off anyway. Yeah. Like that's the highlight of that and guy's so, day. I gotta say, the outdoor ones were cooler. That's true. But they didn't have the radical house music playing. <laughs> <laughs> so you turn upside down, and you're spinning, and there's the lights, and it's a little disorienting, and, but you say you did it. Yeah, and the fear that one of the uh, purses that the girls put on the, uh, the middle handlebar will then fly off and hit you. That'd be so cool. It would be. <laughs> Just an explosion of lipstick and perfume. You know, That's what you think is in there. Just yes. lipstick yeah, and perfume. Yeah, perfume and keys uh, to fight off. Yeah, it's a mace, probably a mace. People still carry mace around in their purses. I think mace. they do. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, with four men sitting here, I think we're not representative of the mace-carrying populace. Oh, I am. I can't fight. What are you talking about? I, I carry mace. What? My, my mother. <laughs> no, it's fine, you guys. It's a, well, I carry a CD by mace. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have it on a thumb drive. It's funny you were talking about when you were talking about um, what a rivet counter James Cameron is. Well, or he he associates with them. Right. It's a hardcore. But when uh, when uh, when Neil deGrasse Tice was on the podcast. He had a lot to say about the configuration. Oh man! So that's of one thing. That, that's one thing that Cameron's going to upgrade in the new. Fix the stars. Uh, upgraded in the new movie. Yeah, but you understand, Neil. I've been with Neil, you know, quite a bit, and he's really an astronomer. I mean, he looks at the sky. He goes, "Hey, that's not the, what are you talking about. That's not the northern hemisphere. What are you doing?" <laughs> I mean, the way uh, you might look at and say. Uh, well, that's that uh, is a CD. That's not going to play in that DVD player or whatever. Yeah. Some nerd thing. Sure. <laughs> that's a USB one. <laughs> and then you all laugh. So when he looks at a, uh, uh, the sky, he sees patterns. You know, uh, he's he's a real deal in that respect. And Cameron makes you know he's got the carpet company making the carpet right. from the Titanic. 
And the sky's wrong. I mean, I get Neil's point. <laughs> <laughs> What's bigger, car carpet sky? I mean, he actually had the same twelve-year-old immigrant children make the carpet yeah. on the Titanic. Their grandchildren. Their grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, yeah the guys, sa same people. Weaving. Let me tell you, a loom is not trivial. It's, it's a difficult not. thing. It's not. You all take carpet patterns for granted. There's a lot of design in there. I, I was telling you this before, I, I just performed in Seattle and uh, <laughs> performed with you, with uh, John, Keister John Keister of, of the Almost Live. Um, Dear friend of mine, yeah, old yeah. buddy of mine, really, he did a lot to advance the science guy's career, I must say, John. <laughs> well, we were talking and, and uh, I said, oh, I'm going to see, you know, I'm going to see Bill in a couple Then what did he say? I'm sorry. That's what he said, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. He's like, I'm sorry, said, really. Do you have mace? That's trying to keep him reined in. Yeah. Apparently, they had a device that's supposed to neutralize you. It's in the back of your ear, and he said it was faulty. And Bill, oh my God, Bill, Bill. Um, but uh, but I, I am interested to hear about. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. You're interested. That'd be great if it was like edible glass, like you know, candy glass, and it was just a. It would be funny. He was just waiting. He was just waiting. <laughs> There is a much more grounded Wonka vibe, I think, to you that would that if this these were edible, I'd be like, that makes sense. We're the planetary society. Sure. Why wouldn't they have edible yeah, bugs? They're compostable. Yeah. Uh, so you were saying? I was saying, uh, you know, I, I'm interested to sort of hear because I know you worked at Boeing. Yes. Uh, and I was very well supervised. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Never had to fly a plane. And but then but then this really interesting kind of path of you know Boeing and working in science and aerodynamics and then going and, and then doing and then working in comedy and like being a comedian yes and then sort of building this character of mashing these two worlds together which is just not something that happens very often uh, I put my heart and soul into it so sure. what tell, tell me a little bit about, about about what you did at Boeing and then and then we'll kind of well I work uh, control systems was my thing and uh, just tell you there's an aspect of mechanical engineering called control or control theory or control systems and that was my specialty and uh, you know you have a cruise control in your car you have a an oven that you set the temperature and you go do something else yeah, and it gets to that temperature so I worked on hydraulic systems mostly on the horizontal stabilizer and uh, the Thank thing that, well this so you may not have noticed way. it but not only this is the in Britain we would say the tailplane the, air, the wing in the back plane thing. Uh, not only does it have an elevator that does this, but the whole thing does this. Okay. And there's a giant screw <laughs> that drives this called, and I'm not kidding, my friends. Drive screw? Would but that it were. It is, uh, it carries so much force, linear this way, that it, it is, uh, has any friction system and you're very familiar with any friction system it has ball bearings mm -hmm. and this thing is called a ball screw mm -hmm. <laughs> it is a ball screw sounds like a British uh, prank <laughs> and wait wait there's more <laughs> back in the day the big company that supplied Boeing really was the beaver ball screw company <laughs> and I proudly have a couple beaver ball screw artifacts sure, sure. but you know how this works you have a surface you have another surface, and you introduce something round in between them, and it allows one to move over the other without them rubbing or scraping, without very much, dare I say it, tribology. Is this, is this kind of what they've done with a lot of the buildings in Los Angeles, where they, they've put them on rollers? Oh, to, some rollers to, to and, absorb and springs, the, yeah. It's the same. In fact, vibrations and control systems are intimately smoochified. Mm -hmm. The same... 
Dare I say it? Second order differential <laughs> equations control <laughs> both. So second order is when you have an acceleration, right? So the position is one thing, the rate of change of position is velocity, the rate of change of velocity, that's the acceleration. That's what we're into. That's second order. And now, there, now, now uh, is the future of uh, is aircraft, uh, commercial aircraft, like basically carbon... Plastic. It's all plastic, plastic planes. Plastic. Yeah, so when I worked at 747, we had, they, it has pieces of what they call depleted uranium. Dead weights on the flaps and ailerons, and not flaps, ailerons, and other control services to, I was kidding, the flap <laughs> was a joke. Was a, joke. <laughs> a bunch of mechanical engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just over. Just, I'm sure when I'm driving home, I still won't that laugh. You get it. <laughs> <laughs> he did the flat bit again. Oh, God, it's hilarious. Anyway, so you're carrying dead weight around to keep these things stable. So if you can make those things out of carbon fiber, mm -hmm. Then you don't need as much dead weight. Stable, blah blah. And I also, that, Matt, you could be replaceable. Thank you. <laughs> I also heard that uh, what's going what's going what's going to happen with a carbon rod? It's like on The Simpsons. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. rod. Is it uh, they that with the with these these carbon constructions, they'll actually be able to the, you'll actually be able to put a little bit of humidity into the into the environment of the plane, and they won't be so dry. Because now they have to keep it really dry so that the, the plane doesn't get weighed down with moisture. Uh, that could be also, you know, moisture is hard on any metal. Even metal that's, uh, you know, very well protected with zinc chromate. Yeah. Even that Best is, kind. well, it is that bright green color. Have you ever seen it? Seriously, when the, when the uh, speed brake or um, the uh, thrust reverser comes and you see the green metal, or under the when the flaps are deployed yeah, yeah, in the yeah. green metal, that's yeah. zinc chromate. Goes way back. Now I know. <laughs> it's like you know, it's a primer. It's aluminum primer, and it just to me, as a kid, when I made plastic models of planes and got to paint that color, and I just thought it was the green. <laughs> yeah. I've grown out of it. Zinc chromate green. Have you really though? Have you really grown out of it? I could quit if I want. Okay, all right. <laughs> We're here to have a <laughs> Just don't want to. We're that's here fine. to talk about. It. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm excited that you got to see. Yes, you got to see uh, the Virgin Galactica. Yes, Galactica. Galactica. I mean, Galactica. 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 That sounds like the most powerful Virgin in the galaxy. You tried. <laughs> <laughs> you just tried. You tried to get into those pants. You're not getting anywhere. I'm Science uncomfortable. Stop talking about it, please. Science guy ends career. <laughs> you get 40 virgins when you die, or one Virgin Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, steady, <laughs> steady. Did you, did you see? Uh, uh, but there's not. If there is zinc chromate. Yeah. Now I signed a non-disclosure agreement, but I will say I didn't see any because okay. there's this thing is so much carbon fiber. All right. It's a giant plastic plane. Uh, it's amazing. It's really it's really trusting the numbers, and it goes back to this guy Bert Rattan. You know, who used to fly around. This still does. I guess fly around in these planes with the innovative canards in front instead of, you know, speaking of horizontal stabilizer. So, uh, in other words, he had wings to hold the nose up as well as wings to hold him up kind of thing. He wasn't the guy that did the... Still is the guy. Who yeah. was the guy that did the um, the test in the... Like, 707? He took the, <laughs> he took the, uh, he took the balloon all the way up to the edge of the atmosphere and there's video of him just like leaping out. Yeah. Uh, no, that wasn't... Bert Rutan. Oh, okay. But I should know that guy's number. He was an Air Force pilot. 
Have you ever seen the footage of that? No. no it wasn't. And they're it's, doing it again. Like a suborbital step or something. It was. It was in the. It was in this. It was in the fifties, I think. Or yeah, early yeah. Sixties. It, it was part of. This. And they kind of just wanted to see what would what would happen. And so he took this balloon, and and there's footage of it. Well, they still do it. I mean, uh, you know the expression "halo." Yeah. Halo jumps, high altitude, low opening. Okay. This is something that the other. It's in tomorrow never dies. James Bond jumps. Yeah, out. but. Uh, they really do it, I guess. But this was this was in the Cold War, you know. If we're a B fifty two and we have to jump out, how high? How hard is it? And it looked the, the footage is amazing because you see you just see the edge of the atmosphere. He's just him in a balloon, and then he just crawls up to the edge, and he's in this silver suit, and he just leaps out, and then and then just like back. And I, and I think you know he suffered severe uh, suffered damage to his hand because Burns, there was right? a, there was a there was a tear in the suit and like oh, the cold ouch. air got in. Ouch. Uh, but it's 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 you kind of get that feeling when you're watching it of just like watching him descend yeah. through the atmosphere like into when I'm walking across this bridge I sure hope I don't reach into my pocket and take out my keys and throw them off. <laughs> <laughs> so, I sure hope I don't decide to jump out of this wall. Oh gosh! I we were at like this, this. We were at the the gang here at the planter so I went to the satellite show satellite technology show down here at the Los Angeles Convention Center and there's a company selling rides if that's the expression really yeah you get quite the spacesuit looking suit with the helmet and the faceplate thing and you go up in a balloon and then you decide two to... questions what does it cost and can they sew two suits together <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't, you know, there's a whole thing to have these stretchy spacesuits. Well, look at them. Looking forward to it. Uh, I, uh, I, okay. Hopefully technology. Are you going to go up? Are you going to go up? I applied to be an astronaut many times, you know. Uh, but after Christy McCulloch got killed, I think it changed, uh, people like my, people like me's relationship to it. Now, you know, to be an astronaut now, there's like, there's, they give you a clipboard. Uh, how many PhDs do you have? Right. A, 100 to 300. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, the people that become astronauts now really are extraordinary. I mean, we're all, we all have special. Thank you. Right. See? But the Mom. People, <laughs> See? But the people that become astronauts now really are achievers. And so, what what is ultimately the plan? I mean, I know with uh, with Virgin's plan, they're just you kind of just go up, and then you're sort of on the edge. Well, for three minutes, yeah. for and three. you see the so-called black sky. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in outer space. There's a thing we love to talk about: the Kármán limit, which is this relationship of molecules to gravity. You're above that. You know, you're up. So bear in mind that getting that high is this much energy. Getting in orbit is, as a first cut, nine times that much energy. So this is the beer can problem. Have you ever heard this story? No. So, or, okay, beer can. Uh, soda can. Uh, nourishing. Beer nourishing, can if you want to look cool. <laughs> <laughs> nourish, yeah. Nourishing uh, beverage problem. Yeah. So the weight of the liquid in your beverage can compared with the can is about the weight of the fuel compared with the rocket <clears throat> to get in orbit. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh... When you are a designer, a visionary, a great big thinker, and you go, what we need is to take off like a plane, go into orbit, and land like a plane, which would be sexy and cool, yes, not so easy. You need a lot of fuel. You know, it's, the whole thing is heavy. Like a, a commercial plane is about 10% fuel by weight. 
Oh, wow. A rocket's 90% fuel by weight. I mean, a, a orbital rocket's 90% fuel by weight. You know, an Estes rocket is somewhat less. <laughs> or a bottle rocket. And this thing is somewhere in between. But it's the, what the innovation that these guys have, embracing the future, is making out a material that's much, much lighter weight. I mean, much lighter weight. It's plastic, for crying out loud. How? Trust me. <laughs> How far are we from uh, just regular trips? Well, this is two hundred thousand a pop. Right. I say this. This is. I'm not in the. I mean, there are acquaintances, friends of the society, but uh, they have almost the, the Emily's off camera. They have five hundred people signed. Four hundred fifty people signed up. So it's extraordinary, but it's not. It's not zero. You know. So the idea is, we saw the hangar, the hangar, where they want to build plane after plane, spaceship two after spaceship two, and take them all around the world to where the weather's good, and fly people up. You know, you go, apparently there'll be a couple three-day course where you learn to take G's and uh, not panic very much, and then you get a ride. And I guess, I imagine you get some paperwork that says, hey... Thanks, Virgin Galactic. You know, <laughs> take a camera, I imagine, and then it'll become more and more popular. I mean, I just sort of running the numbers. If it costs $200 million to build this thing, let's say it costs $500 million to get it all going, yeah. how many rides would you have to sell at 200000 to kind of start to break even? Math. Yeah, it would be 100 you know, 300 500 not millions and millions, yeah. right? Just a few thousand, and you'd start to be pulling it off. That's the thing, is that we need to start selling... Podcasts. Need, yeah, podcasts yeah. for like 100,000 now. So <laughs> sort of like, like it's a space program. You can only listen to on Virgin Galactic flights. <laughs> no, but you guys, seriously, not to get all algebraic on you, but it works the same. I mean, if you are... If you invent this software that allows people to charge any purchase to his or her credit card, mm -hmm. you get so rich that you can start an electric, a solar-powered city, an electric car company, and a rocket company all at once. Yeah. You are Elon Musk. Yeah. With PayPal. If you can, I mean, it all, it is multiplication. You know, really. It's kind of cool. I like, I, I've never met Elon Musk, but oh, yeah, I'm he's, pretty fascinated by he him. Is, he is Tony Stark. Yeah. Okay. He has a cameo in Iron Man too. Yeah, as he should. Yeah. I mean, he's the real deal. I've, you know, I've met him. He's not like my buddy, but I've met him. He's, he's, he is a passionate guy who really thinks about it. You said he gave me the table out in the back. You said this was a gift from Elon Musk. Not a false. The patio table out there. The patio table and chairs, gift from Elon Musk. We should get him a table. It's. We'd love it if you got us a table. We should get him a table. Hey, can we? Can we talk? We're on camera, right? And you can edit this. Yeah. All right, so I'll tell you what we have going. Okay. You know who Carl Sagan was, right? Yes, of course. So Carl Sagan sat around this table, and by all accounts, he would slam his hand on the table, and you can hear that. Speaking of vibration, it doesn't hurt your hand. It has, it has flexibility. Yeah. Furthermore, it's thin enough to amplify the sound a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay. But the table's a little too small for our staff, mm -hmm. 16 people. Okay. We have in storage a Marscape model made by the artist 
who made the original Marscapes for Cosmos. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with series? you so far. Yes, Are you yes, with yes, me? yes. And we have a guy who designed this fabulous thing. It would have a glass top, wooden frame, and the Marscape thing would be built in. My recollection is Valis Marineris. Is that right? Yes, I'm getting a nod. <laughs> and so it would we touch that up with careful, you know, the guy who wears these things, model maker. Steampunkers. Janos from Ghostbusters 2. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. Or, or, or in... Um, um, Hellboy. Uh, um, uh, Tony Danza. Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Oh, Ridley Scott. Uh, uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yes. The guy who makes the eyes. <laughs> the eyes. <laughs> he makes the eyes. Okay, then he would touch up the uh, touch up the thing, and this glass tabletop would fit over it, and it would be wooden around the side, so you'd still have your elbows resting on the low thermal conductivity wood. You know, glass conducts heat so aggressively, it's unpleasant to put your bare arm on it. That's why I say glass couches, they don't breathe in the sun. They don't. No. No. You see, you're the one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's okay. I heard that. So I where, never, where, I've never tried it. Where is this table? It has to be created. Oh, it's not done yet. By a great benefactor oh, who donated only three thousand five hundred bucks to the Planetary Society. I'll go in. This is before. That's all it would take. That's all it would take, according to this one guy. Uh, so, in my experience in projects like that, sort of Five double grand. it. Yeah. Okay, but then also while you're here. Two weeks, bro. While you're here. Um, Sunday night. Uh, April 5th, uh, August 5th, or it begins with an My birthday. Yeah. August 5th. Neil Armstrong's birthday also. Yours? Yeah. Way to go, man. We're landing a rover in your honor. We did it. On we did it, everybody. If you live back east, it's, or farther east, it's, um, it's Monday morning, August 6th. <laughs> Except it's in space. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> so it'll land on Mars. On Mars. Like John Carter did. Planet Fest. 2012, we would love it if you guys were the mythic lead sponsor. Yes, we'll do it! And if you don't want to be lead sponsor, you'll be some kind of sponsor. Oh, we're going to lead We've sponsor. We've got Comet Orbit, we got Levels, You're, we, we got a party Saturday night, we got, it's going to be turned up to 11. It is going to be, as the kids say, what? Off the hook. It is off, off the hook. hook. I think they do say that. Yeah. yeah, that's what the kids say. I don't know. The kids with their tweeting and their and their their, their, their Foursquare and they're, they're crazy. And they're kids. not subscribing to cable because they watch everything on the internet. Yeah, the internet because well, everything should be free. Yes, at all Everything times. Should be free. <laughs> at all times. No matter how much you put into it, it should be free. <laughs> so. Uh, so you guys, we would love it if you participate. Yes, we would love to participate. It in will that. be a nerd. Out. Did you design anything on the on the on the rover? You're or the toying door? with me, aren't you? I don't know. The word design. <laughs> so I was in a meeting over ten years ago. Oh my gosh! Yes. A decade. Uh, the two thousands? Uh, no, it was in the nineteen nineties. Oh my gosh! Uh, when the your Nirvana was <laughs> still uh, changing music forever, or rock and roll music forever, and yep. the word forever. You know, <laughs> life is short. So. My father, unlike many of us, had uh, the experience of spending four years in prisoner of war camp during World War II. No electricity, no lights, became quite the amateur astronomer. What did I, what did I do? Did I, sorry. No, I'm oh, sorry. This is my fascinating thing. <laughs> Tell us about Go that. Ahead. Tell us about that. That's processing. So you're dead. So, so he became fascinated with the stars and sundials. So I grew up with all the sundial stuff. 
Sundials are around. Pictures of sundials. Bronze casting of the Nye family sundial. Okay. Uh, <laughs> consulting on sundials. Writes a monograph published in the Washington, D.C. newspapers to turn the Washington Monument into a giant sundial. Okay. That would be incredible. Be fab we have to move the White House a little bit <laughs> during, during the winter who's, months. Who's going to care? But a symptom of this is you reach a point as a nomonicist, that one who likes nomens, mm -hmm. the thing that sticks up on a sundial, okay. where everything really should be a sundial. All right. Every flagpole, every fire hydrant, somebody should be out there painting our lines. Let's go, people. Every light pole, everything. Let's get on the it. The sundialing of America. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, where the thing where you have to put your money in for the parking, parking meters yep. should be calibrated. Okay. So I'm in this meeting, and they have a thing that they point the camera at to get the colors right, a test pattern, the photometric calibration target. Okay. All right. And along with this, it has a little post that sticks up. And the thing is only, how did you ruin your shirt, Bill? The thing, <laughs> the thing is only this big. And it casts a shadow. And even in here, with any many sources of light, you can see that shadow is yellowish. Yep. And that shadow is bluish. Yep. And that shadow is yellowish again. Okay. That's from these lights here. Mm -hmm. They're not on camera. You can't see them. <laughs> but they're here. Okay, so you use this to look at the color of the sky. On Earth, it's quite blue if you relax your brain on a sunny day and really look. On Mars, it's really orange. So they're planning to send this post all the way to Mars to do nothing but cast a shadow. And as I say, in airplane land, the evil thing is weight. You must never add weight to a plane. That is evil. So they're going to add this thing. What? Come on, can't we get like an antenna or something? <laughs> and then, if I may, it hit me. We've got to turn the photometric calibration target into a sundial. Don't you see? <laughs> and yeah, this is the moment. Yeah, right, and they're all like, Bill, you know, uh, it's the space program, really. <laughs> Bill, I see you're wearing a watch. <laughs> like, we have clock. No, it'll be cool. <laughs> we can reckon time. So there are, so there are. Two sundials on Mars now, and the third one is in deep space as we record this. Wow. So it's kind of so I, I wasn't the first guy to suggest it be a sundial, but apparently I was the first guy jumping out of his chair about it. And the <laughs> other thing that I brought to the party, people, reasonably northern hemispherians that we are, temperate yes. latitudians that we are, think of sundials as having a triangle sticking up. Right? right. Well, when you're near the equator of a round planet, uh, uh, like, like Earth is okay. an example. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. sure. You don't want a triangle. You want something symmetrical. So if you go to Hawaii or someplace, uh, you'll see they'll have a rectangle sticking up. And it's a little out of your everyday experience if you're from temperate latitudes, but okay. Or a stick. So my dad, apparently, for many years, would stick the shovel handle in the dirt in northern China, where they were prisoners of war, and tell the guards when it was time to eat lunch and stuff. So this, is, in English usage, that's called a noon pole. You might call it a pen cap. <laughs> this thing, one thing led to another, and I give you the story because you asked, okay? You brought it on. So there is the third Mars dial, as we whimsically call them, all one word, uppercase M, uppercase D, 
uh, on the way to Mars. It's kind of cool. And what's it going to... What, what? Oh, so what you do, the, there are tens of thousands. Emily Lockdewall can probably tell you, there might be a hundred thousand pictures of Mar the Mars dials because mm -hmm. you use them to get the colors right every day. Oh, the geologists are obsessed with the color of the rocks. This is their thing. And you may look, you may remember the early pictures from Mars were quite, oh. they were too pink. I got and it. And they coined a, um, I guess a descriptor, an adjective, overpinking. There was over, I guess it's a verb. They were overpinked. So uh, anyway, that the color a is a big deal. But is it, it, it is interesting to note. That is it. So, so basically they're going to use... Uh, they're going to use the sky casting the shadow as a comparison for... Oh, what? yeah. No, no. Wait, wait. There's more. So there are precise, precisely known rubber things uh, of different gray values. Can I say to the artists here? Yes. Color, is it color, hue, value? Sure. Graith, mm -hmm. grayness, grayment, creativity. Gra the graith of, a, of, a, of yeah. rubber. Yes, the graith of rubber. And so... Sounds vampirical, doesn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah that was an Anne Rice book. <laughs> so, oh, then she got all religious. <laughs> that's the thing. What is with the vampires in the Catholic Church? I mean, do Buddhists are Buddhists okay? Are they not affected no, by vampires? They're really into mummies. Oh, yeah. so they have another. Problem. Everyone has their thing. Muslims yeah. love werewolves. They love them. Yeah. 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 It's an issue. But and then the Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, love Frankenstein, Frankenstein monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's an issue. Good. You picked up yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I thought. Oh, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. And um, uh, okay, I digress. But imagine me digressing. Anyway, so they look at the gray the rings. It's about this, it's 80 centimeters, I mean 80 millimeters. This looks to be about 90, but anyway, it's about this big. And uh, they look at the gray with the shadow and they can get the colors precisely right because even now, the cameras on Mars are, if I may, black and white cameras. Okay. Because they have more pixels then, and then they put different colored lenses in front of the lenses, uh, in front of the camera to calibrate the colors precisely, precisely, including frequencies that our eyes aren't so good at. Wow. Yeah, and it's cool. It's it's elegant thing, excuse me, and it's involved um, a lot of math. And a guy who's the president of the board of directors of the Planetary Society, Jim Bell, is the guy who worked all this out, or one of the guys. And he's principal investigator on the calibration target. <laughs> but, he's, you know, but the main guy, Steve Squire, said, okay, we're going to put sundials on Mars. It's very cool. That's um, fantastic. Hats, it's just kind of cool. Now, what, so uh, I want to go back to figuring out how you got from Boeing oh, yeah. to comedy. It's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like, one night I just went to an open mic, the end. No, no. It's, 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 it's sort of. When I was in college, the guy who had been my freshman roommate was still a friend of mine. I went in mechanical aero, he went into material science, into graphite fiber airplanes or whatever. Okay. But he had this crazy new thing when we were seniors in college. His house, where he lived with several other people, had cable television. What? Yeah, we're like, wow, dude. And so he said, you gotta come, you gotta come over here, look at this, you've never, you, look at this. And it was Steve Martin at the boarding house on video, on crude, primitive video. And he goes, look, this guy is just like you. Look at this. So then over a year later, I now have a job at Boeing. I, am, I will be frank with you. 
hanging out at a singles bar. Okay. And a different group of friends says, wow, you got you to gotta enter the Steve Martin Lookalike Contest. A different, whole different <laughs> group of people. So there was this convergence. So I entered the Steve Martin Lookalike Contest and I won. I did not win the national one. I won the one in Seattle. You got Steve Jets. Martin won that one. No, no, the guy who won that was, I guess he still is, from Nashville. He could play the banjo. And I will say, he kind of looked like him, <laughs> which was a step I wasn't really willing to take. I mean, plastic surgery or whatever. So after that, I started doing stand-up comedy. Oh, wow. So Steve Martin was, because Steve Martin is my ultimate, like I, all the albums and all. Oh, God. So uh, then did you, you must have read. You must have Born read. Standing Born Standing Up. Born Standing Up. Of course. Yeah. And then my, my belief about me, okay, my belief about what I did that night was verified to an extent where Steve Martin believed the funniest time is when you decide to laugh. Do you know what I mean? When the guy says, you had to be there. And I claim, and this is an extraordinary claim, and it's only eyewitnesses, there's no video, it's so long ago. Um, I claim that I understood what Steve Martin was driving at in a way that the other contestants didn't. So that's my claim. Where you choose to laugh. Where the audience chooses to laugh. <laughs> you see? You see? That's what I'm is. saying, right there. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, the audience member. But anyway, I'm not Steve Martin. I wasn't that good. But I tried, you know, I worked at it. And then, you know, I was a young guy. I was a, a big brother, United Way big brother. Yep. And I volunteered at the Pacific Science Center in Seattle doing what they called science explaining. I was a science explainer, had a blue vest, mm -hmm. poured liquid nitrogen all over the place. <laughs> I can still, it's no trouble, I can still chew marshmallows roasted in liquid nitrogen and steam comes out of your nose. And it's funny. I mean, steam. I mean, like, cloud comes out of your nose to here. I thought you weren't supposed to touch liquid nitrogen. Oh, no, that's the great thing. It looks so dangerous. But it is, most of what's between you and me is nitrogen. So, it is, I mean, and the thing that... 76%, I think. Are you, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Sheldon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Sheldon. Uh, uh, you... 76 sounds high, but I guess that's right. Is that right? 76% nitrogen? It said sounds, it sounds a little high, but you might be right. If we include the trace. Okay. So, but I will say to anybody who wants to play with liquid nitrogen, I recommend you don't wear gloves because if you get the stuff in here yeah. or the back of your hand, not what I would know, I would heard, I've heard, you can really burn yourself. It doesn't get out of the club. You know. yeah. And the other thing is in your shoes. But the other thing that's never happened to me, but I take precautions, is your eyes. Right. If you got it splashed in your eyes, it seems like that would be a drag. But anyway. <laughs> you, uh, you mean to have your eyes shatter into a million pieces? Oh, what a drag. The eyes. Yeah. The eyes. Was that William Sanderson? I made, I made your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, along this line, graham crackers are very good. If you eat graham crackers in liquid nitrogen uh, that have been dipped in liquid, it's really good. But Are you just me, making s'mores with liquid nitrogen yeah, yeah. and but marshmallow? Me, exactly. <laughs> but to me, people like to hold them over fire. I use liquid nitrogen. <laughs> that's how it went. So the very first Science Guy segment ever, when this is before John Keister was the host of the show, he was only a writer on, on the show. Live, yeah. Yes, uh, was the household uses of liquid nitrogen. Because we all have liquid nitrogen around, of yeah. course, yeah, of course right. we do. So this is just some stuff, some tips, uh, you know, like a cooking show. So I shattered an onion, and it makes a sound just like glass. It's really satisfying. You know, 
cat screech. And uh, then the marshmallows. It, you can use graham crackers, as I say, but marshmallows to me are just kind of funnier. So, but you, can, funnier you, you can't really ingest it, though, can you? Yeah, you yeah, chew you can. it. It, it it's melts very quickly. Yeah. In the Iron Chef America kitchen, there is liquid nitrogen in case they want to use it. Is that what, is that what they use? Are dipping dots, like those dots? Uh, no, the future? Yep. Does it have liquid nitrogen? Back in, or dry ice? I had, I had some of those at the, cool. at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. Yeah. Like, and look, he's fun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't feel good, guys. I think it took a couple years, but I'm not feeling that. That company went out of business. But I love, I love the idea that uh, you sort of that you saw that you have these two worlds because I think for any comedian, the important the important thing or your job as a comedian is to figure out what do I really want to say, what am I about, like you want what, to... who am I, and you manage to mash those two worlds together. Yeah, yeah, and I, I tell everybody, I put my heart and soul on it, and uh, this is this part's documented. <laughs> I wrote a one-page uh, page mm -hmm. yeah, that I gave to everybody <laughs> a one came to work on the show. And over the years, there were a hundred people. There were a bunch of interns and different camera guys, audio guys over the years. And um, the first thing is the objective of the show was to change the world. And I say, that's what you're trying to do, right? I mean, when you're an actor interacting with other interacting... Wait a second. Yeah, you just <laughs> I don't get it, but oh, I don't know. I just I had exploded yeah, yeah, yeah. high altitude decompression. Yeah, exactly. Decompression. Exactly. <laughs> I get it. Yes, I I'm do. Coming get down it. from this equation. Careful. Steady, steady. Anyway, you want to get a rise out of the other actor. <laughs> so when you're a comedian or you have a, a blog show, what do we call this? <laughs> a blog show. show. No, I'm a, a stand-up. I know. Yeah, yeah. You want to get. The audience, you want to get a rise out of all of them. You want to sure. affect, you want to, I mean, you just look at Chris Rock. Chris Rock is trying to give you something to think about. Right. Know? And um, uh, Bill Maher is just giving you something to think about. I mean, those guys are uh, trying to affect the audience. And so that was, that's what we all do, isn't it? It is what we all do. That's but you get up in the morning. But it was, you know, uh, I think to, to take this thing that started a comedy show but then actually turned it into a real show that actually educated people yeah. but was still I mean I think that was a I think that was a great thing about your show was that it it was educational but but I thought it was really funny and great musical parodies oh, God. I love the musical parodies oh, so some of the best it just shows you the importance of leadership all right so <laughs> no it wasn't me no this is it it wasn't me I'm not joking so these three of us did it. Jim McKenna, Aaron, Aaron's a woman, Aaron Gottlieb and me. We were the three, and I, were the three people that created the show. And Jim and Aaron are just, they're visionaries, man. They just got all these cool ideas. They, like so many people in sale, they work at Microsoft as contractors. That's their thing most of the time. That's my understanding from Facebook and emails. All right. Uh, but the music video, we did the first one. It was cool, but it was just a lot of work. And everybody goes, well, let's not do the music videos. But this Elizabeth Brock, who was the senior official, like at that time she was, if I can use the expression, my age, <laughs> she insisted that we have music videos because it engages people. And the guys who wrote those are just the people, the men and women who wrote them. They're just really good. John Sherman went on to be the, uh, it's called story editor, the showrunner of Fraser. Oh, He okay. was 21 when he worked on my show. So, uh, speaking of John Sherman, so <clears throat> what the thing that happened as time went on, the show was well received, right? 
the artists would give you permission to use it. And on PBS, you can just do that. You, yeah. don't, you don't have all these clearances and clearances, all this, you know, people who don't want things to be free. Yeah. Right. But Sherman wrote, John Sherman wrote, the coolest thing for the Sun Show, he wrote a video called Bright Corona. <laughs> but at the time, we could not find the neck. The That's neck? The what band. happened to the neck? Well, apparently they've re-necked. But before, <laughs> in those days, they had disappeared. I guess they'd all made money and bought Corvettes and were off doing their thing. We couldn't find it. Just even now, and I think about that. Yeah. And that's one we didn't use. You know, I mean, some of the that Morrissey about "Move Me" or the Momentum show. Those are just great. I think I remember popular. there was like a Bush song in there, and oh, then yeah. and, and crisscross and yeah. Oh yeah, you know, we had crisscross. Yeah, we we we, 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 we rain on the uh, on the uh, on the uh, 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 water cycle show, and then we had and and then we got. Speaking of Chris, uh, Chris Ballew, B-A-L-E-W, I mm -hmm. believe, who was the lead singer in the present... President of the United States of America. He said, well, I'll do the song. So he did his own song with different lyrics. Going to the country, going to eat some farm food. <laughs> it was cool. Peaches. Peaches, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's peaches. Yeah, it was good. It was, those are, those are, it was good. So that show ran, was it six years, six seasons? Depends how you reckon, six, six seasons. Six years, like six, 93 to 90... Well, 92 to 98, you know. Yeah. But we, so this fall will be the 20th anniversary of the pilot. Oh, wow. That's mind-bending. Wow. I know, so that would mean I'm more than 20 years old. <laughs> oh my God, are you okay? It's impossible. Are you all right? My nose! <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but it, it really, as I say, put my heart and soul into the thing, and I'm I'm really gratified that everybody still likes it. They love it, and yeah. there's a whole generation of people who, I mean, when we had the uh, we had the Nerdist Channel launch party, you know, there were there were a lot of, I mean, like you know, Rob Zombie oh, was down there, there on, uh, yeah, that meltdown the W thing. But yeah. but when you came in, it was just like you, I, and I felt bad for you. It was like, oh my god, like That's, people were just it's pounding and tugging yeah. and pulling. You have to and, concentrate. And yeah. then like there were a lot of pictures, and I was taking a lot of them myself. Uh, with you, like Bill, just one more picture. Bill, one more picture. Yeah, I say that's you have to concentrate. But it was, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's I, hard. I, it's hard to smile. You're not getting the audience laughing when they want. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but hopefully you you do understand. Well, like, no, it's very right? gratifying. And hey, it's my bread and butter, and it's all good. No, yeah, bring it on. How long have you uh, been the director of the Planetary Society? Oh. I've been director of the Planetary Society. Uh, Are you all right? Your voice just changed. Yeah, I've been director now for, uh, let me think. Uh, Did you just hit second puberty? 22 months. 22. That's the way parents talk about videos. He's 22 months. All the way back to aught 10. Uh, yeah, well, that's right. Back to aught 10. So, uh, but keep in mind, people, I've been a member for 31 years. Wow. Because I had, I mean, I'm of certain age. I had... Yes, Bill, we, know, we can see. But I had <laughs> Carl Sagan for, a, for astronomy. You did? Yeah, I mean, I, he was my best buddy or anything. I took his class. I did okay. You know. <laughs> I did okay. And uh, then, because at that time, the state of the art was they sent you, you got on a mailing list, po uh, postal mail. Post? What is that? Uh, yeah. What it's, is it? uh, it's a technology where you can store information outside of your body. Is it like mail but without the E? <laughs> Yes, okay. yes. In so fact, it's, it's I think e the word email. email yes, okay. it's, it was. I think the word email derives. That sounds really inefficient. <laughs> Why would anyone do I that? Know, but so you get on a list, and then I thought it was a cool little organization. 
So I joined. And then when Carl Sagan died through the success of the Science Catcher, I was asked to speak at his memorial service in Ithaca, where he was, you know, he was a professor at Columbia. Yeah. And um, then I was asked to be on the board because of that, I think. And then I was vice president. And then I left the room a couple of years ago, and now I'm on the payroll. <laughs> These checks started showing up. And expectations, but it's all good. So we have 30-some 5,000 people around the world who just think space exploration is cool. Uh -huh. And we do their bidding. So one thing, we're involved in a couple crazy things. We're making our own spacecraft yeah. to get pushed through space by light, a solar sail. Light has no mass. How can it have momentum? It does, some physics thing. <laughs> I took a lot of. Was physics. that the official pitch? Yeah, some physics. <laughs> thing. Some physics thing, and then the pointing vector, or or the um, the consequence of relativity. However you look at it. Anyway, and then we tried to send some microorganisms and some multicellular creatures, the water bears, mm -hmm. to Mars. This is my water bear impression. It's. A Oh my God, did you guys just see the water bear there, wasn't it? Yeah, so, but they are apparently in the Pacific Ocean. That rocket crashed. And then, uh, I, I don't know, know why so that funny to me. I don't know why that's funny. I tried to deliver it in a hilarious way. It does suck. It does suck. And then, and then, a couple other things we do. We go to Congress. I was at the White House the other day, chatting it up with the people from, really, from the real West Wing and trying to get them to not cut this line item for planetary science. I know to you, $309 million is what? Right. It's Starbucks. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, work, know, but, I work on the internet and cable. So, yeah, yeah, so it just rolls in. Yeah, but this line item over the next six, five, this year and the next five years would be a disaster for planetary exploration. And we might lose this expertise that nobody else has, and that is the ability to land on another world. It's quite so. What tricky. is what is the main what is the main goal of sending these uh, organisms to Mars just to see oh, what the effect? Well, there. we send. Let me state. Let me for the concerned viewer. We're not sending them to Mars itself. Okay. We're sending them to Phobos, a moon of Mars. Okay. And even if I can talk all mathy on you, mm -hmm. even at nine sigma, this is nine. Um, uh, standard deviations from the mean, it would not hit Mars. So very, 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 very unlikely to hit Mars. But it would, the idea was to go to Phobos, scrape up some Phobos, and come back. And so everybody agreed. Well, first of all, I talked to the planetary protection officer at NASA. Just there to make sure somebody, we're not bringing something back? Well, no, that would be fine. It's the, don't want to contaminate Phobos. Do not want to violate the prime, inter, uh, the prime directive, can't interfere. It's so, true. So they have warp drive. Then, and then okay. the officer said, "Well, you don't. You don't even need to run that test. They're going to be those microbes are going to be fine. You don't even need to do that. This will be fine. I mean, you can you can tell by analysis. They're going to be fine. That's when I realized it was a good idea. <laughs> they just they hadn't thought of it. There was just a, a, a mission to this extraordinary place in the solar system, and we could get a piggyback. Cut to a sentient water bear planet." Yes, sentient. Is that the first one? <laughs> <laughs> they thrive. Except they they're very. Into a weird if you see them with, like with a hand lens with a magnifier, they're very happy. Yeah, they're not mean. They're well, they, they would get more aggressive because of the radiation. Well, uh, so that's it. So everybody agrees the cold would probably be no big deal. The organs are freeze dried and sealed up in super secret thing in our patented living, living interplanetary flight experiment acronym Life. 
Oh. Uh, patented bio module, and they're in Delrin, you know, super plastic things. But uh, the cold wouldn't bother them. The zero gravity wouldn't bother them. Everybody, the unknown thing is the radiation. That much deep space radiation, that many cosmic rays, that many solar windy things. Uh, what would happen? Anyway, the thing's in the Pacific Ocean, so we have to wait for another ride to this extraordinary place. But our members support this kind of kooky stuff. That's what's so cool. Yeah. And then the, uh, we now have an educational effort that we are mounting, because Uncle Bill's here, and you know he's all about education. So uh, we educate, we advocate. Hmm? You trailed off a bit during the education part. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, we create we, projects. Like, we try to get a microphone on Mars. We tried... For an open mic. Four times. Well, yeah. there'd be no restriction. First right. Steve Martin look like contest. <laughs> no, but if you show up, if you're a Martian and you show up, introduce yourself, Slate, as we say in acting. <laughs> you bring two people, you go up early. It's a bringer yeah. show, Martian bringer show. <laughs> okay. And, but let me just... A concern. The Spirit and Opportunity rovers have gone now since 2004. <laughs> oh, so way past, you know, their intended life. So the mission now, all in, is over a billion dollars. Then the Curiosity rover, probably four and a half billion, I think, all in. How, how much do you think, Emily? Two? Two billion? Two billion all in. So anyway, we're about three billion bucks all in. And those rovers are not even locked. Okay, anybody on Mars can just walk up to them. <laughs> I mean, come on, people. You talk about open mic, they're going to steal the, you know, they're going to walk off with the thing. we got to send up some U-locks is a, in a chain link fence. The club. Mars is a bad neighborhood. Mars <laughs> well, it's bad for us, yeah. as far as we know. Ultraviolet light, crazy cold, extraordinarily dry. Like yeah. Dry like you don't know. What's so, our goal with Mars, though? I mean, like, we're not, it's, we're not oh, going to colonize oh, Mars friends, anytime soon. My friends, my friends. What? <laughs> friends. Yes. We're getting close. Are you trying to think of a trying to think of something to say? <laughs> there are two questions okay. that have troubled us all. And if you have not asked these two questions, I say check out. Alright. Take the black capsule. <laughs> Can I have your car? Because you're because you're going to the bridge and you're out. Alright. You can... Uh, no, okay. <laughs> Where did we come from? Mm -hmm. And are we alone? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now in your mind's head. We are walking along in Antarctica. And what are we doing? We're minding our own business, right? And there's a rock. There's a rock. On... It's dark. On the great expanse of marsh... Of Antarctic white. Mm -hmm. Right? So you pick up... You, you might first examine the rock if you're a geologist. Probably take some pictures... Think the you know, radio back to base. So there's no mountains anywhere. There's no rock outcropping any place. And it hits you. I hope not this specific one. It occurs to you that the rock got here from space. It's the only way it could be on the ice in Antarctica. Got here from space. Then you ever so careful, plastic bag like picking up the your after your dog. You pick it up and you take it back to the lab and you look at it really closely and you see this, see this pattern of shock in the rock from an impact. You take it to, let's say, Huntsville, Alabama, where they have a vacuum chamber with the stainless steel crack open the rock mobile claws and psh, tiny bubbles of Martian atmosphere come out. Gases that match the Martian atmosphere exactly. So this rock is from Mars. 
So, imagine Mars, by the way, was quite wet. We know this from our rovers and scooping around and scraping and thinking, picturing and deep thoughting and photometric calibration targeting that Mars was extremely wet in ancient times. It is possible that life started on Mars. Mars gets hit with an asteroidal thing. Less than 20,000 years lands on Earth and we are all descendants of that microbe. We are all really Martians. So check Last it out. Last time anyone's not built. We, <laughs> we can learn this or we can get take the next step to making this discovery or investigating this hypothesis. For one trip to the fancy coffee store every 15 years per taxpayer. One cup of coffee per taxpayer to, to every 12 years, and you can make this investigation. Come on, people. This is what great governments do. This is what great societies do. This is what we commit our intellect and treasure to. And so this is what we're doing. I'm pounding on the echoing table. How do we, how do we prove, like, what, let's say we are able to go to Mars, and like, then how do, how do we verify this information? Well, I mean, this is the next question. Suppose... Spose, the Curiosity rover, Spose. Uh, has the ability, from my understanding, by interviewing the head guy, to detect sterols. And we all know what sterols are. Well, I don't, but these are the, uh, the chemical that would be left over after ultraviolet zapping for centuries, millennia, of cholesterol. So it has, theoretically, the ability to detect evidence of ancient life. Wow. But that's probably not what it'll do. It'll do some cool geology and find uh, a source of water or learn more about the interaction of water and the Martian rocks. And we will learn more about what happened to all the water that was on Mars. So it is my little dreamy ween that we go to some equatorial place where it's kind of right around freezing of water on Mars get an outcropping where the super, super salty Martian water is oozing on a Martian summer day, and there will be Mars crobes still alive. <laughs> but then we'd want to know, do they have DNA? Are they like us? Or are they a whole nother thing? Or is there nothing on Mars, which is, makes our place in space even more unusual? Would we, but w would it be... I was wondering, like, yeah, there could be life on other planets, but is it is it life that we would even recognize as life? Well, if it's a bacterium. You know, when I was young, it was taught in school heavily. You had to live on the Earth's surface to be a living thing. You had to, have a, you had to be a plant. Or if you were a sea creature, you had to rely on phytoplankton, plants in the ocean, right? Or if you didn't eat the plankton, you ate stuff that ate the plankton, that ate stuff that ate the stuff that ate the stuff, and so on. But in my lifetime, people wandering around on the bottom of the ocean, uh, apparently, from what I understand on some classified thing for mapping the seafloor for submarines, discovered this whole ecosystem at the bottom of the freaking ocean where there's no sunlight. Freezing, crazy cold. Saltwater, corrosively crushing. As we say, ocean exploration is difficult. It's crushing, it's corrosive. And, and, and anaerobes, too. Like, like yeah, the whole thing. And so Bob Bauer, Robert Bauer, the guy who discovered the Titanic. And the Bismarck. Uh, comes up, slits the thing open, and he says it smells like sulfur and it looks like meat. It looks like red meat, these clams. 
It's crazy. And anyway, there are bacteria that live in nuclear reactors. Like you would think, as a human, you'd think it's kind of inhospitable. I mean, all the jokes you want about the or super, a Vulcan. Yeah. Yes. Apparently, they're good with the radiation. Yeah, well, they die, and then you just send them to another planet. And they oh, yeah, yeah. That's that was later on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The blood fever. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to punt fire right now? No, I've Are done you a, I, a mate? No, I go, I go swing dancing. It happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, this, this intrigue, this, the promise of these discoveries is what drives us in space exploration. Space exploration is humbling in the sense that you you discover pretty quickly that you're an insignificant nobody. You know, yeah. you're, you're just a speck. You're no different from a grain of sand, as I always say. You're just a speck on the Earth, which is another speck, orbiting specks within specklessness. But that we can understand that is astonishing and what worthy. What do we do with that knowledge? What if tomorrow you are like, oh, I, yep, somehow I can go to Mars. I've discovered the answer to this question. Problem solved. We are uh, Martian in origin. Uh, now now what? What was the origin of that? Well, that's the next Just question. Keep going. If, as I say, if you're not troubled by that. But don't you think we'd learn something practical? Well, sure. So I'll give you an example. People used to think the sun went around the Earth. Yep. And I'm not joking you. And uh, they did extraordinary navigation with this model, with this mathematical model. Sure. Because it was worked out in great detail. These guys drove all over the Mediterranean Sea because they knew the position of every island, every seaport, everything, with respect to what we nowadays call the apparent sun, the motion of the sun through the sky. But we discovered that that's a pretty good model, but not good enough. And the actual truth is the Earth goes around the sun, and this is what enables navigation. Yeah. All the food you ever eat, let alone every internet phone call you've ever made. Well, I mean, without global positioning satellites, none of this would be possible. You wouldn't have global positioning satellites if you couldn't navigate and understand the Earth. And so, blah, blah, blah. so, as we say, we make these, we go, we undertake these expeditions of exploration because we don't know what we're going to find. We don't know what's over the horizon. That's why we're going, people. What are you going to find there? We don't know. That's why we're looking. And so we say all the time, when you explore, two things will happen. You will make discoveries. If you explore your backyard, you're going to discover. I mean, the word discovery, you know, potato salad bugs roll up. Wow, I remember making that discovery. Crazy. Uh, uh, but you will also have an adventure. You will have an adventure. And this is what drives us. This is what makes humans humans. And my claim, from an evolutionary standpoint, if you were an ancient human and you were not driven to explore, if you did not look over the hill or past the horizon, you probably disappeared. Yeah. Other entities, like your fellow tribesmen who did were imbued with that desire, took your stuff, pushed you down and took your stuff. <laughs> if I may quote... Uh, a. Whitney Brown. Oh, yes. Yeah. Classic. A. Whitney Brown. Um, they say the meek will inherit the earth. I hope they do. Because I'll push them down and take it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, he said, even 
a wimp can kick a meek's ass. <laughs> Using the term meek as a noun, a meek, you can push down a meek. It's just, it's just funny. God, A. Whitney Brown, I cry laughing just thinking about that guy. Who else did, who, what other comedians did you like? Well, I thought, I was telling, I was telling these young people about this the other day. Jerry Seinfeld used to come through Seattle on the comedy circuit, you know, all these guys did. And guys like John Keister, sure. and Ross Schaefer was the original host yep, of the show. Yep. And um, uh, Jeff Stilson, who went on, to become, Jeff. He went on to become the producer of The Osbournes. He was Chris Rock's head writer. Uh, a guy of European descent from Spokane, Washington, became Chris Rock's head writer. Yeah, Jeff Stilson had, <laughs> Jeff Stilson had the great uh, the bowling joke about, uh, about uh, commentating bowling. What do you think, he, uh, what do you think he's going to do this shot? I think he's gonna try to knock down those pins, Bill. That's that's what I would do. <laughs> uh, my roommate is a Buddhist. He doesn't believe in death. He doesn't believe that things die. Well, he's obviously never owned an aquarium. <laughs> and these guys would come through town. All right, and, and and Jerry Seinfeld came through, and this was in the early days. He carried a tape recorder in his sport coat pocket. Like the early cassette recorders that were small enough. The mini cassette recorder? Yeah, pin light battery kind yeah. of thing. And he would record his show every night. And then you'd go, you'd meet him for brunch on a Sunday. And he was nice, you know, he's very nice to us. You know, the local guys. And he would go through every joke. And a guy at that level, you know, would have 200 jokes in an hour. 200, you know, punch words, yeah. let's say, in an hour. And he would evaluate every one of them, and that's how you get to that level, right? Yeah. You know, I just, and these kind guys, of a sciency approach to kind of up. sciency. And so I would be, you could, t with all due respect to my fellow comedians whom I met many over the years, and if I'm including myself as a comedian, which could, could be a stretch, yeah. but not everybody had that discipline, and not yeah. everybody made it that far. And I, so I middled. Can I, right? Yep. Yeah, but that's as far as I got. It's just too hard. Like, you headline, right? I do. It's really hard. I, I uh, Way to go, man. Oh, please. Uh, bring it back to C. Martin. There, there's a great... Uh, no, I, I back back at you. There's a... But in, in C. Martin's play, Picasso at Lapina Gilles, he yeah. does the... Um, the he, Swift Rabbit. He, oh, very nice. Well, he is this great... He has this great... Bar. He has this great concept where it's a... Uh, it's, Pica it's Picasso and Einstein... And they both go. They both like draw. Like Picasso paints something. Like they're in a contest. Picasso paints something really fast. And then, uh, and then Einstein draws a form. Like he he writes a mathematical equation. And then uh, Picasso looks at Einstein's thing and he goes, "That's just a formula." And then uh, uh, Einstein looks at Picasso's painting and goes, "So is that." Yeah. And it's just like this really great idea oh, that oh. there's so much. You know, I feel like there's so much. Science in art, but there's a tremendous amount of art and science at the uh, same yes. time. And this brings me to something I'm so into now, and I don't worship the guy, but uh, wrote um, the Outliers, Malcolm. Oh, Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell, yeah. Yeah, but this is a heck of an idea, the, the ten thousand hour idea. If it's yeah. not ten thousand, become hours, an expert. Yeah, it's just that Steve Martin mm -hmm. spent so much time on stage. Picasso made so many sketches. That after a while you get pretty good at it. You know, it's just an extraordinary amount of time. But ever also the idea that everyone kind of has their go-tos, like no matter mm -hmm. how, like even if you're watching, that's a formula. Even if you're watching improv, it's like oh. yeah, yeah. But there's still like yeah. okay. Did you know George Miller? 
Speaking uh, of old comedians, uh, buddy, he was buddies with uh, David Letterman. He'd be on okay. Letterman all the time. And, uh, and this is we're talking about old comics. <laughs> um, uh, George Miller, you know, he had, he had, I think he had cancer, but he just took all kinds of pills. And, you know, and he, but God, at the height of his powers. But one of George Miller's things was improv. A notch above charades. <laughs> so I will say, once in a while in improv, you get a great idea, right? Yeah. And it's very good for people to get stage time. But I don't want to shock any audience members of improv. A lot of it isn't that great, you know. And this is—you're a comedian, right? Yeah. I mean, guys like Jerry Seinfeld worked and worked on every joke, every the. Timing of every yeah. joke. Timing, time. To timing, timing. Timing, timing. I make my I make my living with language. Uh, <laughs> but I meet best. people, yes, who can't express themselves. <laughs> and I've always thought people who don't have a way with words sort of no have way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no have way. It's so funny. Language is the best. <laughs> I think you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> God, I'm sorry, I just have such reverence for that guy. I guess I wouldn't have anything anymore for my lucky astrology mood watch. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like so many educated people, Steve Martin really, he's not a professional scientist, but he really believes in science, and he's very skeptical of traditional charlatan-style things, sure. astrology, palm reading, with psychics, and then I think ultimately, I'm not trying to shock anybody, you become skeptical of most uh, mainstream religions, sure. most organized religions. And along that line, I uh, was humanist of the year, oh. and uh, I was with on stage with Michael Shermer night before us, and you know, I don't know if you know him, he's the skeptic, he's the editor of Skeptia, but he's got a great line, I'm Thank attributing you. this to Michael Shermer, and this is not my line, but... He points out that he is a militant agnostic. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know, and you don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty good. I will, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so what happens in, to scientists, it, uh, you go to a church, a church is good, it's moving and stuff, but when you compare that to the cosmos, to space, and that you are this guy with a brain this big, mm -hmm. And one of my favorite jokes, my old boss's brain, quite a bit smaller. <laughs> anyway, with your brain, you can understand all that. And that, that really is, fills you with reverence. That, really, that, that is a whole other level of commitment. Yeah. And um, you kind of reach, you kind of come to that after a while. When you spend time, especially with astronomy. It's just, <clears throat> you know, it's billions and billions, this thing. It, no, he's not kidding. I mean, it really is an unimaginable number of stars. Just really quickly before we wrap, yeah, really wrap this up, because with I, me, really quickly, listen, we've been talking for five hours. I'm, yeah, I'm I've happy noticed to do that's that. an issue with me. Uh, not at all. Um, what was? Uh, I, I know you said you weren't like best buds with Carl Sagan, but what was he like? He was just like that. Okay, well, I had his classes in the 1970s. <laughs> During, that was a time? Yes, during the disco era. Yep. Or if I may, the first disco era. <laughs> the young people are trying to relive it. Uh, which, all things in moderation, people, let me say. But, um, except, of course, what? Cocaine. No. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> the audio guy's laughing. 
But I was the joke is moderation. Yeah. yeah. Cocaine. Is that what's motivating all of you? See, I'm high on life, people. I really believe in this. So, uh, we got a snort from Chris. Wow. Yeah, my second snort. Wow, way, way to go. Anyway, Carl Sagan was just this fantastic presenter. I mean, he was a, a dramatist. I mean, he, he would routine his lectures, you know, how to say, second funniest, third funniest, first funniest. I mean, he was terrific. It was just, he was all that. Then, when I st started out with the success of these Science Guy segments on this comedy show, I went to him, uh, I made an appointment, which was a big deal. He was at the height of his powers, covers of Newsweek, uh, PBS special, Cosmos also. And his assistant, I'm almost sure her name was Olivia, set me up, or Olive, uh, set me up, and um, he was very gracious, and he said, don't do technology, focus on pure science. He's, and the verb he used, kids resonate to pure science. And uh, I was working at a company in, in Redmond, Washington, where Microsoft is now, in Seattle area. I mean, it's a, not the area, it's next to Seattle, it's, a, it's the next zip code. Um, <clears throat> and I just felt that the people I was working for were very short-sighted. And I wanted to affect kids so that we would one day have scientifically literate people to, dare I say it, change the world. And so... Mission uh, statement, first paragraph. It's the mission statement. Well, it really is. I mean, it's really the idea. And, and if you think about your favorite teacher, everybody had a favorite teacher, right? What made that teacher so compelling was his or her passion. It's the passion. And when I tell you, Carl Sagan had the passion. And then now... I'm pretty good friends with his widow, Andrian. It's pretty good, you know, she's an acquaintance. And they are believers, and he was really nice to me. And just to talk some more briefly about... <laughs> he wrote me a letter. Dear Bill, you know, I watched when I was in Seattle, leaves out the part dying of cancer, I did uh, watch your show. You know, it doesn't suck. I, he said it's quite good or something, it's very nice. I don't think he said doesn't suck, but I think I found a few conceptual errors. Oh. And uh, with the sky, you said that the sky is blue makes the ocean blue. That's not really true. The ocean absorbs in the red. And this is, and <clears throat> when you get a letter like that from Carl Sagan, you either A, ignore it, or B, blow your brains out. No, <laughs> I did not blow my brains out. Okay. I wrote it back. Actually, Professor Sagan, uh, the color of the sky does affect the color of the ocean, and I sent him 11 pictures. He just hasn't spent enough time at sea. That's what I would do. No, seriously. You schooled Carl Sagan? I did. And, it was, and wow. the skeptics thought that was great stuff at the skeptic meeting. But after that, he had respect, great respect for me. The next letter, dear bitch. I mean, Bill. Thanks for the pictures. Oh, no, but, but the letter to me had a little bit of that. Have you? I think I found a few conceptual errors. <laughs> you know, uh, it had a little tone, but after that, it was really good. That is an amazing. But I have to say, it's and, and you get a letter from the Center for Radio Physics. And that's that what's is. so genius about science is that when when it with science, it doesn't matter who you are. The facts ultimately oh. win. That that you could that Carl Sagan in his last in the last moments of his life could write your letter. You could write back and go. 
actually, it's that was this. cool. He probably he did respect that. He really did, and it meant it still means that I get choked up. It means a lot to me. Did you save the letter? Is it Frank? No, no. Yes, I saved the letter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I saved the letter. <laughs> but along this line. My young people, my Facebooking obsessed, my Foursquaring, my Twittering, uh, crowdsourcing turned up to 11 colleagues. Crowdsourcing is really good at some things. Wikipedia, for example, is great at some things. And I was at the TED deal this year, and they brought out a bull on stage, an animal. Uh, they're big, by my standards. Uh, and... The crowd, by texts, guessed the weight of the bull, and they got within a kilo. They got within two pounds. It's a fantastic demonstration. Fantastic demonstration. But if you ask people why the world, the earth has seasons, this in this one example, and you crowdsourced it, you'd probably get the wrong answer. People would say because the earth goes farther from the sun in the winter, but that's not it. And to your point, science is not a crowdsourced thing. If everybody thinks the ocean is blue because it always blue because it always absorbs red light, you wouldn't quite have it right. And it's, this is just what you're talking about. If you, are, if you make a scientific discovery that goes in the face of everything else, but it's a true discovery and it really is right, eventually scientists and the scientific community will, everybody in the world will come along to your point of view. It's quite a... For a while, they'll it's just different think you're kook. Oh, that's right. Well, and, and that it disagrees with the Bible. That's very popular. But uh, after a while, this is in Western cultures that use it, by the way. But after a while, if it's true, it will come to the surface. And it's, that's a remarkable and wonderful thing about science. And this is... What I always leads me to always claim science is the best idea people have ever had. And people have had a lot of ideas. <laughs> Not all of them great. But this that's what good. I say. But that, and, and then through the process of science, if you don't like the idea that science is the best idea, we'll throw it out and come up with a better one. And we would say, <laughs> well, that's the process of science. Bristol Pepsi. Science. No. Uh, right. Yeah. Yes. Two good ideas. <laughs> well, we're, we're we're sort of at the end of our podcasting part, but is it, it would is it all right to uh, we we show us around the planetary society a little bit? Oh yes, sure. And will you please tell our everyone to enjoy their burrito? Something we say at the end of the podcast. Enjoy your burrito. Nice. Hey, that was a good, good one. one. Yeah, maybe the best one. Now leaving nerdist.com. This episode of Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by GoToMyPC.com. Go to MyPC.com, click the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code NERDIST. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app 
wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus. <laughs>